0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. This is part two of our conversation with Igor Duke. Igor is the founder and CEO of Native Union, a consumer electronics accessories company that combines the finest handpicked materials, thoughtful design, and considerate details to create products with personality, empowering the modern lifestyle. Today's episode continues our conversation as we talk more about omni-channel retail and marketplaces, premium branding and pricing, and the future of retail and commerce, We finish off the chat by discussing environmental sustainability. Enjoy.
1: It's probably more difficult to be selling premium than luxury in Asia and to be selling premium than the entry point. So uh, you're right. How are we doing it? My conviction about that is at some stage, we don't want to be selling really things. We want product, we want people that know the brand and that want to buy Native Union. And for that, it's a very long-term game. You know, people say, oh, I created a brand. I don't think you create a brand. I think you create products and you become a brand because you become a brand the day people have had a good experience one, two, three times, and then they come to a store and they say, oh, you have union or do you have union? And at that time, you have traction. And that's an incompressible set of years, I think, that you have to go through, not disappointing your customer.
0: Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. So, I want to ask about the main channels and marketplaces, but I must admit, I am I'm I'm quite distracted. What you said, something about preferring e-commerce and something, and and for some reason, I got thinking about when you're about quality, right? When you're about a forty dollar. Cable that will last five years versus a four dollar cable you have to buy three or four times a year. Does that fixture on design and quality? Does that potentially lend itself more to 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 retail to offline so that people can see, experience, feel, touch, um, gauge the weight of the product and how do you drive? quality of design and product and, you know, how long it's going to last in online. So I mixed a whole bag of things in there. And I I just wanted to get that out of my head so that everybody understood where I was at. Maybe let's talk a little bit about, you know, the main channels and marketplaces that you're operating on right now. And then we can
1: dovetail into that other stuff. Sure. Main channels remain retail just for two reasons. The first one is uh, historically we started with the retail uh, business Uh, being uh, again uh, uh, born in Hong Kong. You may know that the digital expertise in Hong Kong is not the best in the world. Okay. So we have not been, I would say, ahead of our game in the digital game. And we've been since the beginning doing trade shows all over the world. So we've developed the retail quite heavily. So that that explains why retail uh, is still today our biggest channel. We are not a digital native brand. And we started with with retail. Uh, And within retail, the lifestyle channel is uh, again, where we come from. That's our roots. Uh, So again, the, the department store, um, concept stores, but th- those people have the ability to come to your point to display quite well your products, to sometimes put it out of the packaging. People can touch it, but they are not the bulk of the sales because when you need a tech accessory, your reflex is probably not to go into a department store, to go into a concept store. Those you just go there more for gifting. Um, so we have to rely as well on the consumer electronic channels. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Apple, for instance. We sell in the Apple stores, but in in the in the states, we sell as well to the to the Best Buy. Some of our products kind of entry points because when you need something, you will end up in Best Buy in a way. That, that's a destination. Uh, and in those stores, the experience is not there. So it's much more difficult to sell a premium product and experience when your product is not well displayed. Sometimes there is those big anti theft um, plastic uh, case around. We still have, obviously, a good business there, but uh, but usually people um, start to enjoy the experience when they are home and they open the packaging and they try the product. It's very difficult to to give a preview of, of, of the premiumness from those stores. So online should be, uh, I think, the best um, channel for us. So we have our biggest online uh, channels are nativeunion.com, obviously, our store and Amazon for the same reason I told you about where people go when they need something like that. Um, We have a lot of progress to do. Uh, Again, we we are not very good, and we absolutely have to uh, up our game in online. But I believe, you know, that we could do, we could completely sell um, the the craftsmanship, uh, the attention to detail online. Uh, when you think about now um, all those luxury brands selling online, and, and, and we don't have the, the limit of the size that uh, you have when you buy garments, for instance, or shoes. Um, the products are quite uh, small and, uh, and light to ship. So on- online should be our biggest channel, and that's the, the target and the goal. We are not there yet. There's so much to talk about in there,
0: And I wish we had time to get into it, but we we probably don't. I mean, just all the marketing, right? Just just Instagram, micro-influencers, affiliate marketing, you know, all kinds of things. It'd be interesting to know what you've tried, what works, what doesn't. But I want to come back to one thing. So, and staying specific to Asia, how are you maintaining um, your premium branding, your premium pricing when you're offering your products in Asia? In Asia, specifically in Asia. Is there something... That you particularly have to focus on because I, I would think that, and maybe this is a false assumption, that that is a very difficult place to be driving premium, um, the most difficult place of all the markets that you're in. And and per- perhaps it's not, but I think you're you're still doing it very well and you have been successful.
1: And what have been some of the keys to that success in that area of the world? No, you're right. It's probably more difficult to be selling premium than luxury in Asia uh, and to be selling premium than the entry point. So uh, you, you're right. Uh, how are we doing it? I My conviction about that is at some stage, we don't want to be selling really things. We want product. We want people that know the brand and that want to buy Native Union. And for that... It's a very long-term game. You know, people say, oh, I created a brand. I don't think you create a brand. I think you create products and you become a brand because you become a brand the day people have had a good experience one, two, three times, and then they come to a store and they say, oh, you have union or do you have union? And at that time, you have traction. And, 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 And that's an incompressible set of years, I think, that you have to go through, not disappointing your customer. Coming back to your point, how do we do that? I think it's a mix of first um, selection of, uh, of retail points. So if, if the right people see you in the right places, that will make you a cool brand and a desirable brand, first of all. So being careful not to be in the wrong places and being good enough to interest the right places uh, is something that, again, after a few years, will make your brand a name wherever you are in the world, including in Asia. Okay. So people now, I hope, start to recognize Native Union. So we are in this incredible concept store in Bangkok called Another Story. Big partnership with them. Uh, we know that this, some, some Thai people are asking for the new Native Union products. Same in Hong Kong. Very much supported by, by Kapok. So um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, to answer you. Yes, it's difficult. Yeah. But- but but at the it's end, hard. at the end, uh, f- you, ju- you just need to have one time the chance to give this buyer the, the elevated experience. Then he will come back and then he will understand what you do and then he will spend again. So for me, the most difficult is the first strike. Get people to test Native Union first. The other thing that I would imagine
0: you have to remain so vigilant on and about is that you are accessories, um, so by default, um, used alongside or with or complementing other products. You have to keep up and know um, every move, every change, every redesign of those products. So how are you able to adapt and keep up? I know that as you know, we go through iPhone 11, 12, 13, 14, um, the sizes, the shapes, the, you know, the, the designs, e- even we've seen this, this, this evolution of the charging cords and, and, and the, the headphone jacks and, and all these things. Um, And it seems like the day iPhone 14 hits the market, there's cases, there's, there's, there's cords, there's, there's accessories already there waiting for the release of those products. I mean, I, this is almost personal cur- curiosity at this point, but how do you keep up to
1: that changing environment? It's very hard. Uh, it's quite <laughs> dangerous as well. It's it's a it's a it's a world of rumors, so no one has the information. You have a set of rumors, and you have to be able to put them into your. Uh, your mincer, sir, and to decide what to do, okay? And confidentiality. There's a lot of confidentiality. There's a lot of information that cannot be shared. So there's always a risk-taking phase. We personally uh, at Native Union do not take too much risk of working with, um, with uh, some, some, some early design that are not launched yet. So we have to prepare, basically, as much as possible as you would uh, pre-cook in a restaurant, okay? Uh, some ingredients in order to fast track the second part. So we have to be extremely prepared. Hence, again, the competitive advantage of of advanced knowledge, I would say, on the manufacturing, because we're based in Hong Kong and we spend a lot of time in the the factories. Uh, And then whenever you have confidence that that is going to happen or you have confirmation, then you put maximum uh, speed in uh, in uh, in fast tracking the last step in order to be quick to market because you're right. Uh, most of the people, most of the case, the for instance, are sold, uh, I think it's 70% of the case are sold in the coming three to four months after the launch of the of the, the model. So, that, that, but, but that's so hard that one of the strategy as well uh, in Native Union internally is to not only do accessories for device. We do more and more products that have no form factor specific. uh, And the beautiful thing that happened in the past six months is the universality of the charging with the new USB-C standard that is going to be a fantastic um, uh, uh, breakthrough for for, for the world. uh, And people will probably buy better cable knowing that they're going to keep this standard for the coming 20 years now. Yeah, that's
0: right. And it's an interesting thing. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm old enough to remember that and, you know, back in 2000, I don't know, back in 2010, the joke was, you know, why should I buy the iPhone three today when I can buy the iPhone four tomorrow, you know, or something? And it was it was this it was this joke we used to throw around um, almost uh, in, in a in a chip on our shoulder kind of way of like, why is everything I buy obsolete in three months Um and that has to, when you're trying to drive a premium brand and and get people to understand that quality is going to save you money. Um, but then they're like, well, do I really want to invest for a period of time when this 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 product line, this this technology seems to change so rapidly? i guessing that's probably something a bit of an uphill battle for you now. I'll cut that off though, and and I want to move over to a more uh, deep dive into geography, uh, into geographic markets where 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 you're operating right now, and maybe we can do a bit of a quick fire round. Um, I've got about five markets that I want to talk about: Japan, through Thailand, and maybe you can point out some of the individualities of those markets for our listeners who are interested to try to dissect across, you know, some of the greater China versus Southeast Asia types of places. So maybe, you know, some some insights into what consumers want and some of the, the, the insights and nuances of the consumer electronics accessory space. Let's start with Japan.
1: Japan is very good because the Japanese consumer has been... Uh, educated on details, as you know. Uh, so they really like quality. They like craft as well. Um, and they understand what we do, which is not the case of... Uh, I, I'm, I'm making a generality here, obviously. I'm trying to talk at a country scale. But at the country scale, they, they, they like, they understand. Um, plus, we have also an ongoing collaboration with the Maison Kitsune, which is a French-Japanese brand. That uh, that you may know that is uh, extremely successful in Japan. So everything we do, Maison Kitsune, um, is also a great success there. So b- b- very good market for us. Okay, what about Greater China? Uh, harder, uh-huh. harder because uh, because the consumer is is very is uh, much more educated. I think that that what most of the people believe. He knows exactly uh, how to appreciate a very good product. The the thing is, either you're a luxury brand, you are. an Irrational purchase, okay, and then for an the irrational price, awards, completely with an irrational price, and they, and and, it, and they are very successful there. But then they switch off their um, their value for money uh, computing system, and and they go. Yeah. Or they are very very picky. So when you are not a heritage brand that exists in hundred years old and that can drive this um, I- irrational uh, and intangible world. Uh, it, it is difficult to drive a higher price point, exactly as you were mentioning before. Um, so we have to we have to really prove, basically technically, that our products are superior. More difficult. What about Singapore? Singapore is a is, is a good market. is a small market for us, uh, also because retail presence uh, is less. Um, I would say uh, doing okay, but. Yeah, nothing, nothing too special to mention about Singapore. Okay, Malaysia? Um, you can feel it's a very polarized uh, country because we don't have many orders, but when we do have orders, it's usually big orders. And uh, it's usually recurring customers as well. So probably some level of loyalty. Um, but we have not put, I would say, the, the amount of effort to be really uh, present uh, I- in Malaysia. So it's more people that come to to see us rather than us uh, trying to develop in Malaysia those days actively.
0: Okay. Last one, anything unique about consumers in Thailand,
1: but the quality of the retail is, is very good. I think there are some great operators and, and, and they do things, um, in in a very professional way. They do stores in a very professional way. They buy very well. So again, this store I mentioned before, another store in Bangkok is is probably one of the best uh, concept stores in the world those days, and it's in Bangkok. Um, So I would say very advanced for me, for us at least in terms of of retail. Quite a lot of consumer, again, very advanced uh, they understand. Uh, I think they are the, the most advanced consumer of the Southeast Asia. If you remove uh, maybe um, Hong Kong, which is uh, for us uh, unconventional presence because we are based here. But uh, they, they really understand what we do. Uh, it's a good market for us.
0: I want to touch on a, a background part of your, well, part of your background, which is working in the interior design space. Uh, so, you know, the brick and mortar retail uh, I'm assuming you have an elevated level of, of value uh, that you put on on that brick-and-mortar space, given your background. Uh, and a well-designed, well-thought-out store is probably something that, that you do care about. We are seeing that, obviously, a lot of uh, commerce moving online, but that is commerce being more specific to the purchase Okay, you know, and I think it's important to 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 separate to understand that commerce really is 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 the purchasing, um, but it's not necessarily the entire uh, journey of the consumer. Right. Uh, So for China, uh, for example, just became the first market in the world where more than 51 percent of all uh, purchases take place online. So with that said, what do you think is the future of, of retail and commerce in Asia?
1: Again, I, I would not draw a big line between Asia and the rest of the world in that. I think I think now um, okay. it, it's more about community-based, and, and and if you have if your consumer care for uh, brands that uh, do uh, high-quality crafted product, I think is almost this consumer could be all, all over the world. Um, but the future for me, the experience remain physical. I mean, we remain physical people, and and whatever uh, stratospheric. Uh, growth we've seen in numbers in valuation in software and in, in all that. The, again, the intangible things, the magic I would call happen in physical experience. You, you go in a store, you touch something, suddenly you try it. It's, it's, it, it will create something on you that will never happen online, never happen online. So in the terms of discovery, uh, and, um, and experience and pleasure, I would say that the retail will will remain. I'm still very positive, but, uh, but it will have to be even more experiential. Uh, people will have from the outside of the store to feel something special, to be attracted to come in. Then when they enter, they will have to to have all their sense, um, activated and, and th- that, that's the only way basically for a store to, uh, and, and then the, the person will, will be in this experience and, and will try something. And instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to check online if it's cheaper and buy it online, they will be too deep in this experience to, to step away and they will continue and, and they will, they will, I think, proceed with the purchase, which, which is, I'm not a big, uh, a um, uh, consumer, uh, um, I mean, a uh, shopper at stores, but this happens to me sometimes for no reason. I'm attracted in a store. I come in with no intention to buy. And from only irrational set of conditions, I happen to uh, leave the place with something. And, and, and this is now uh, retail for me. The, this is the purpose of retail is, uh, is, is to, to trigger people's emotion. And then, as you say, uh, once people have discovered a brand and, and, and want to know more and maybe want to reorder, uh, the, the online um, re- remains a growing uh, convenience for all of us. So I, I don't think it will ever stop growing, at least for the coming years. But it doesn't mean that uh, the, the retailer uh, will suffer from that. I think the bad retailer will not survive, but it will push the rest of them to be even more creative and to and to come up with a better experience for us. That, that's my that's my view. Yeah, I think I think that
0: retail never really had to work that hard. If you put or if you purchased or if you leased the right space in the right mall or on the right street with the right amount of foot traffic, you really didn't have to do too much more than that to activate sales to a certain degree and now uh i i think retail has to has to put the work in uh and they have to be very um design oriented and they have to be very thoughtful and and have a lot of intent to everything that um, is experienced as you said by all the senses the minute they they walk through that door um And, and, and you have a backup plan. You have a plan B and that, yeah, you might actually be able to clean up some of that lost, that supposed lost revenues, um, because you might get that on, um, get that back through, through online anyway after they've left. Although, you know, typically you don't want to count on that. I think we covered a little bit of, of what I wanted to talk about. What. Omni-channel retail uh, means to you. Some of that was was tied into that. So I want to jump into environmental sustainability and and the green nature of your products. It's something that you really ingrained into the company. Something very important in Native Union. Something that's very important to you as the founder and CEO. So what is it? What is it that you do? Is it something that the customers demand? How are you responding to the, to the market and and to this 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 kind of new evolution of, of making sure that you're either carbon neutral or that you're green in everything that you make?
1: I could tell you <laughs> that uh, most, I mean, all our soft goods, I think we do, uh, is using a recycled material that uh, on every product we do, we have a phase where we maximize the use of those recycled material that we try to sea ship everything instead of airship. So we have, I would say, all those table stakes of making sure that we are responsible in whatever we do, okay? However, again, I'll be very transparent with you. We are, we are making consumer products. We are making hardware products that uh, sometime at the end of their cycle have to end up in a trash because recyclability of our product is difficult because it's an aggregation of a lot of materials and components. So the cost to dismantle uh, is very high. So what happened, uh, I would say three years ago. So I, I have three kids. I think obviously I I was aware I was, I was again, responsible, but I have never been struck by this, um, feeling of, wow, there's a massive problem. And, and it's really our responsibility. I, I was, um, I was, I was reading, I was conscious, but I've never been struck. And I think, I don't know what what happened. I I, I could not find the event, but two to three years ago, I really started to feel not at ease with uh, continuing to do what we do without incorporating uh, a kind of a bigger vision on, uh, we we have to, we have to, yes, we are in an industry where we make product, but we have to consider them better or do something different. And and now, so Native Union, our new uh, kind of uh, uh, promise is designed for life. Which, uh, which could be read on, on multiple angles. Obviously, the, the durability element of it, the respectful of life element of it, the lifestyle element of it. But we've taken, I think, a very, very steep um, action recently, which is that we've decided to cut our catalog from 350 SKU to 120 only. We are going to do much less products, okay? but to try to do much better products which means that we are reducing our revenue, which has been a very um, complicated discussion, again, with shareholders to say, you know what? We need to take a short-term, difficult decision in order to be a brand of the future. And we had too many products that were good product, but... Nat- Native Union was not needed. You know what I mean? We were just making an, another product of that a bit better. And I think we are cutting all that. We are really now focusing this, this uh, design for life is uh, something we ask ourselves every day within the company when we when we make products. Um, and so quality, durability, uh, and making sure that whatever we do, we bring something new to the industry or, or, or we make it better has become uh, essential to us uh and I, I would push that to the extent where uh, the, the people now in the company that, that do not have the same conviction, I know will not stay with us. We have to have this internal uh, movements and moving force about um, it, it has to come from the inside and and I, and I think we, we manage to I manage I think uh, to to share and to infuse the team with the, this emergency, and the fact that we have to act really uh, differently. So yeah, we, we, we took this big action. Uh, we're gonna have much less products. So we are now finishing uh, to, to sell some of those products, and our catalog will be much smaller. But I, I feel this is the, the way to go again f- for a brand uh, of the future. T- to be sure that whatever we do, we do it very well, and and it's not it's not about quantity anymore. So that's that's our um, very defined new direction. I appreciate that thesis. You know that ideal that Native
0: Union is is carrying. Um, I hope that more more companies uh, do uh, continue to move in that direction as well in all areas uh, of the world, uh, wherever their markets are. So I appreciate that. Our last question, uh, as as we do uh, with all our guests, is to ask potentially who you might think would maybe make a good guest. A couple of people that you know maybe closely, maybe don't know, um, that you might be willing to, you know, drop their name on the air and say that we should get in touch with them and that our listeners might want to hear them on the podcast as well.
1: Uh, There's a lot of of very interesting stories, uh, I would say, uh, here, around here. Um have a, a good friend, uh, Jerome, uh, who arrived uh, at, almost at the same time as me, and uh, he went into the FNB. and I don't know if you know, but uh, Hong Kong is, I think, the country in the world with the most restaurants per head. So it's extremely competitive. So if you want to remain alive, <laughs> you have to be good. And he's really good. Uh, so if you want to have the, the, the f and perspective, again, uh, Jerome is a great guy. Then there is a Diego and Delphine from On The List, which you, you may have heard, which is uh, an amazing, again, uh, rocket growth business of uh, private sales uh, in Hong Kong and now developing all around Asia, uh, which I think would be great. And, and another, maybe a, a different point of view. Uh, would be from a photograph as well that I know that was uh, working from a completely different industry and, and decided to, uh, to drop everything and, and start his passion, uh, for his talent as well, uh, photography and, and created this, uh, this business around uh, his talent, uh, and now few people and grow his company and, and he's, he's very good as well. And, and he's in love with, uh, with Hong Kong and, and everything it can bring, uh, from both a visual point of view and a business point of view. So he would be probably a very interesting guest to have as well. All right. Thank you very, very much. Igor Duke, co-founder, CEO, native union.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much again. And uh, have a nice Christmas. Yes. Yes. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and yours
0: as well. And to, all of our listeners who are probably going to be getting this in January, we do wish this. Uh, we're going to say it out loud now and you're going to hear it later. For those of you listening to us on the podcast, uh, please don't forget that we have uh, the video version on our YouTube channel. And for those watching us on YouTube, don't forget, if you need your hands and eyes and ears for other things... Feel free to download the podcast and go listen to us over there. Uh, We are on Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere that you get your podcasts and would love to hear from you, whether it's a like or a subscribe or a comment or reaching out or an email, even podcast at WPIC.co, anywhere that you want to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia.